What up? Welcome. Episode 99 of the podcast. Wow, we are approaching triple digits, guys. Uh, thank you for joining me. Good morning to anybody who listens straight off the jump. Monday morning, starting your week off right, listening to the DLSS podcast. Appreciate you, fam, whoever you are out there. And no matter when you're listening to it, I do appreciate the support. But thank you again for joining me. Of course, we're here. We're going to be talking about uh, last night's fights, UFC fight night, Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland. Uh, it was kind of a throwaway card, I'm not going to lie, especially on paper last week. It, was, it wasn't great. It wasn't the greatest card to begin with. And then over five different co-main events get swapped out. Two fights fall off day of because of COVID. So I guess it's just the way of the world these days with the, when it comes to fights. And, and we, or at least I am not all that surprised when shit falls out. I mean, this card started with 15 fights on it and ended up going off with 10. So uh, it's one of those, it's kind of frustrating for me because I do, most of the time I'll do the picks on Sunday uh, when I recap in the previous weekend's fights. And then half the time, you know, some fights even get swapped in or fights fall off. So doing breakdowns for fights multiple times when they get rescheduled one or two weeks down the road. Or I'm also, you know, doing full breakdowns for fights that end up getting, you know, not happening at all. So it is what it is. Uh, it's kind of one of those things. Same thing with the odds. They always seem to switch on me a lot of times because they are very early odds when I do it on a Sunday. But such is life. I like to be, you know, one of the first podcasts to drop the reaction for the previous weekend's fights. And you know, throwing some early leans and some early picks uh, for the following week. I like to I like to be first. That's why I drop it at 5.30 a.m. on Monday. Do my picks off the cuff on Sunday just based off my opinion and the things I saw. And then throughout the week, I listen to the podcast that I frequently listen to and a lot of times get some of my opinions confirmed. And sometimes I'll actually see things in a different perspective because obviously we don't all think the same. So that's to be expected. So again, thank you guys for showing up and joining me. And we're, of course, going to break down the fights. But we also have a fun fun one next week. UFC 265 is coming up. We got Derek Lewis versus Cyril Gone for the interim heavyweight strap. That was announced a, a few weeks ago. We're not really going to get into the politics of, you know, the fact that there's an interim heavyweight title on the line when Francis Ngannou only won the belt, you know, a few months back. He was willing to fight, and I think September or August even. So, you know, not that far down the road from his original, you know, from winning the belt. Um, so there's a little bit of politics there, which we've briefly covered in previous episodes. We're not going to get too much into that. We're just going to focus on the fight itself. And there are, uh, again, with fights potentially falling off, who knows, uh, just yesterday, Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena. Uh, you know, our thoughts are with Amanda Nunes and her family um, because their entire family, unfortunately, got COVID. So uh, even their, their little one. So Card has already lost one title fight in the co-main event. So you never know, you know, again, which fights will actually end up going down um, in less than seven days from now, UFC 265. But with what's on paper, I am going to go through all of them at the end of the show and break them down briefly and give you my pick. So we got a lot to get into before we get too far, though. You guys know what it is. Dave DeCourcy shouts, man. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. And guys, I don't know if you're of age, you know, to try to be an adult and stop throwing money down the black hole that is rent and finally purchase some property and get yourself a long-term asset. But if you do, if you're in that position, Please reach out to Dave DeCourcy and the DeCourcy Group and get yourself a loan. Or if you already have some property, you've already crossed that bridge and you want to take some cash out of that to refinance and you know maybe redo the backyard, redo the bathroom, redo the kitchen, something like that. Or just take some cash out because you never know these days with these uncertain times. So do make sure to support those who support the podcast by going to www.thedecourcygroup.com. That's T-H-E-D-E-C-O-U-R-C-Y group. 
com and let them know the DLSS podcast sent you over, and it would definitely help us out a lot. Okay, so Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland, main event of the Fight Night card last night. Well, what do I want to say about this fight? Um, in general, the fight was was good fight. Went all five rounds. Uh, if you don't know, obviously, Sean Strickland wins by unanimous decision. 50-45, 49-46, and 150-44. So there's a 10-8 in there, one of those rounds. Um, you know, overall... I think that the fight was largely one-sided, but there was some momentum swings in there. There was some points in the fight where uh, Uriah was having moments and was pushing Sean back. Definitely landed some hard, clean strikes throughout. Um, both sides had to dig deep, kind of grueling matchup, ugly at times. Again, went all five rounds, so we'll, we'll get into that because I don't think Sean has ever been five rounds before this. Definitely his first main event. But overall, I was entertained, obviously. I mean, it's always tough for me at this level, especially guys this much history in the UFC and then with me being so interactive in the community, Sean was one of the guys that shared Iris's post for the GoFundMe and uh, Uriah obviously with the connection with MMT and training at the gym at times with John Walker. Uh, he's just an awesome dude. Um, so most times for me, especially in the main event or co-main event, these higher profile fighters that have extensive histories in the UFC, I, I'm both happy and sad for both regardless of the outcome. And this this fight was no different. I wanted both guys to win. It's just one of those, one of those situations where um, I could see a path for both, and depending on who was on, depending on who was able to have success with the things that they would have needed to do in order to win the fight, given their skill sets and, and their attributes. And this one ended up just going the way of Sean Strickland and his forward pressure, his volume, and uh, we'll get into all that. But first, I want to start off, I want to talk about Uriah. So, again, a huge fan, been following him since the infamous spinning wheel kick. I, I watched that season of Tough um, as it was unfolding. I, I don't remember which season or what year it was, but several years ago, um, where him and Kelvin were both on it, and you know he he forever was uh, put all that pressure on himself as the next Anderson Silva with that knockout. He even said in an interview leading up to it that uh, leading up to this fight that on the Ultimate Fighter everything was going smoothly until his first fight, which you would think, what do you mean? You you got a devastating highlight reel KO and you did well. So what what do you mean it was going good until then? But again, as I kind of just alluded to, all that initial pressure and uh, which is followed of his entire career to to uh you know he set the bar pretty high early so that amongst other things put more of a spotlight on him when in, in a tournament situation like that you would kind of maybe want to um fly under the radar a little bit towards the beginning and then kind of come out later but anyways i'm going off on a tangent my point is is that i've been following the guy for a very long time i have a lot of respect for him i've watched the evolution of his game and kind of giving credence to all those expectations that were put on him early like it's been a very apparent since the beginning that he has all the skills. He's very, very technical, extremely powerful. Um, his striking is is second to none. Like he's just he's got a lot of physical attributes and skills and talents that are very effective in this game. But you know, as we've talked about several times on the podcast, that what controls the body? It's the brain. It's the mind. And um, it's no secret that, you know, part of his downsides, part of his criticisms in terms of his performances inside the octagon has just really been his mental state. And you never know which Uriah is going to show up to the ring or the cage. And maybe earlier on in his career, I would have even agreed with you and agreed with that assessment. But from watching his evolution, and he's been fighting a murderer's row in the thick of the division and just, you know, taking fight after fight after fight. He always talks about, like, if there's someone out there the UFC thinks that can beat me, uh, then bring him on. Like, I'll fight whoever they want. Like, basically, his career for the longest time until recently was been, like, uh, you know, they're trying to throw people at me to get me out of here, and I'm just going to keep proving them wrong. And, um, you know, 
ups and downs, wins and losses, but he's still here and he's, he's gotten better over the course of his career. And uh, I think the thing that's evolved and gotten hardened and gotten more um, experience is that mindset that I was talking about, being able to use those skills better than uh, and not just like improving the way he throws punches and kicks and all those things. Like he's he's always had those abilities, uh, you know, that at an elite level, a championship level, I, I dare say. But I think that uh, if you've been watching, I feel like he's – He's shed that, um, you know, quote unquote, mental weakness and his pro- uh, propensity to fold. I think is gone. Is gone. It's over the last few years, moving out to Texas and training at Fortis MMA with Safe Saud. Which, if you watch the fight and watch the in between rounds uh, in the corner, you know, some some people need a cheerleader, some people need a drill sergeant. And you know, as I said earlier, both guys had to dig deep in this fight, and Uriah Hall, especially at points in the fight, had to dig deep and. He really did, man, and I don't think there was any moment in this fight or maybe the past three, four fights have I seen, like, even a, a chink in his in his mental armor, in his mind. Like, I feel like that part, that Uriah is gone, is the thing of the past, and it's, you know, I guess you could use the word unfortunate that it's, or ironic that in life, you know, when you talk about, like, if I knew then the things I know now, right, that's just a paradox of life in general, and it's unfortunate that that mental state kind of developed a little bit later, when now he's 37 years old, he's born the same year as me, 1984. It was literally his birthday, uh, the night of the fight. He turned 37, so um, you know it's unfortunate that that mindset wasn't around, and and that's just kind of like I said, the paradox of life. When he was 20, 25, or whatever. But at this day and age, this uh, state in the game, man, at middleweight, 35, 34, isn't necessarily over the hill. So he's right there on the cusp, and uh, he did say he'd be back stronger. He's not hanging him up just yet. And I uh, got a lot of respect for the guy. I love to watch him compete, especially when he's on. His striking is a thing of beauty. To, and uh, even in this loss, I, I actually I saw some improvement still, like in some evolution of the game, uh, evolution of his game this late in this stage of, the, of his career. And that's, you know, it's inspiring to see. And uh, if he wants to keep fighting, I, he has my full support. I'm obviously a huge fan and always down to watch primetime uh, go out there and do his thing but the story for Sean Strickland is kind of a, it's an interesting one man like I know he's super abrasive I know he says wacky shit uh, he talks about fucking you know beating someone's ass and then going jerking off afterwards like he's a he's a character man but he's literally stream of consciousness just saying whatever the fuck's on his mind and uh, if truth be told if you guys were honest I bet some of y'all have some nasty ass thoughts you'd like to keep to yourself so I don't judge you know don't throw stones in a glass house but my point is is he's just you know Whatever the fuck goes through his mind comes out of his mouth. And it's an analogy for how the guy fights. He just walks forward, sees the target, and keeps just popping, just keeps throwing, just keeps throwing out jabs, keeps throwing out punches. And anything he can, you see him, you know, with a couple, he'll miss with a cross and then come back with like a quick little back fist as he's trying to reset. Like, he just tries to spam you with volume, keep coming forward, overwhelm you. And that's just his fighting style in general, not even necessarily with this stylistic matchup, which I'll talk about how I felt like that was actually to his benefit, that that was, you know, how he prefers to fight but you know this guy wacky guy he's he's someone i find like myself making not making excuses for but trying to explain to people like he's not such a bad guy because i under i literally could totally understand why some people just think he's a prick and think he's an asshole and and just don't like him and and, you know he loves that he plays that role just fine because he's just being himself and being a smart ass 
And if you've ever had a training environment like an MMT, you know, with the boys or whatever, the way that they talk and haze each other and just the nasty shit that they say, like, he's pretty much just doing that uh, in public. So, but, you know, for those who don't quite like that or don't necessarily like that as a representation for this professional sport, like, I get why he rubs some people the wrong way. I totally do. But I understand, I have a little bit of a behind the curtain perspective on the guy. Again, DM with him back and forth a little bit. And, and I, you know, I've brought it up a few times, but it's important to me, and it's a signific. It's I feel like it's a uh, like significant window into this guy's personality and his and who he is on the inside. That the fact that he shared Iris's GoFundMe, he doesn't know me personally. He doesn't know Iris personally. He didn't have to do that. I send that shit to fucking hundreds of people, and and that will hide high profile, hoping that somebody would just you know put it out there that had a, a following, and he did. And, uh, you know, I, I DM'd him saying, you know, don't worry, I won't tell nobody you're actually a good dude, like, wink, wink. And uh, overall, I just, I like both guys, obviously, I have the history with Uriah, I think he's an amazing human being as well, but I kind of think Sean Strickland gets a little bit of a bad rap, and I understand why, and he just fucking leans into it and doesn't, and gives, you know, doesn't give a fuck and gives people every reason to think he's a prick, so... Uh, all that being said, like uh, as far as the the stylistic matchup, though, again he used to find it welterweight. He had his terrible motorcycle accident that put him out, I think, over two and a half, three years. And then uh, in his comeback, he's fought up a weight class now, probably his his better, more suited weight class at 185. And he's strung together now five wins in a row. His first main event went all five rounds, got a you know decision victory, primarily striking with Uriah Hall of all people. Uh, outstruck him in significant strikes, 186 to 107. Total strikes, 221 out of uh, versus 112 from Uriah. Again, that volume being you know a, a heavy characteristic of this guy's style and that forward pressure. And it seems dirty. It seems sloppy. He talked about in his weigh-in, like even Uriah called him sloppy. And but it's effective. And in this particular matchup, Uriah is dynamic. He's technical. He he throws very effective and powerful and um, pretty looking strikes like it's it's dynamic it's exciting to see someone throw a spinning wheel kick to the head and knock someone out or a spinning body kick to the liver and and drop someone like these things are exciting to watch and they're very effective but one of the main ingredients you need to that recipe is is a little bit of distance at least a certain amount of distance so in order to be effective against something like someone like that, like for instance, uh, look at Justin Gaethje versus Edson Barboza, one of the most uh, dangerous kickers in the entire UFC. They're both dangerous, but you know what I'm saying. And what Justin did is he pushed forward, collapsed the pocket, crowded uh, Barboza, crowded the kicks, crowded the space, didn't give him the ability to do a lot of the things that you you need space to do to execute. And put him on the back foot, put him on the defensive. And um, again, when I was talking earlier about some momentum swings in the fight over the course of five rounds, there was some points in time where they were both kind of like stalemating in the center or even Uriah was pushing Strickland back a little bit at points in the fight. But um, overall, that he didn't, didn't wasn't doing that enough. And when Strickland has the ability to just kind of march forward, you know, fist down at his chest and just kind of leans back out of the pocket when he needs to and just keep peppering with you with shots and occasionally picking the ones that have you know 80 percent power instead of 20 percent power he can just do that all night long as he saw five rounds i believe again as i said the first time he's gone all five rounds 472 uh total attempted strikes so he's obviously got the gas tank he's continuing to improve and showing that even though he plays it off he's like man i don't care 
I don't care about the belt. I, don't, I just, you know, love to be able to have this as an opportunity to fight and not be in prison or making meth in a trailer. That's and that's legit, man. He he's from Corona. If you guys know anything about Corona, California, there's a lot of fucking meth that goes on out there. So no offense to anybody who lives out there, like you absolutely know what I'm talking about. But it's a stereotype that he's seen probably growing up and just doesn't want to obviously fall into that trap like a lot of other people. So he just is is mentally unstable. It's going a little bit too far, but he's just. It loves to fight so much and feels like uh, his life would be such chaos if he didn't have the opportunity to compete in this sport of MMA and be able to punch and kick people for a fucking living. He would probably do it outside the cage and be in prison. So, you know, that and his ability to stay healthy and train all the time and focus on a goal like keeps him off the streets, which I, I believe is actually, you know, more prevalent into 90% of most uh, professional fighters, especially the successful ones, because when you've had to learn to overcome adversity in your entire life, and, and that's also, you know, what you do for as an occupation is have to overcome adversity in the ring, in and outside of it during training and just, you know, throughout your life trying to prepare for these high impact moments. Like, it's just one of those things where you're a little bit more prepared than the other guy. Talk about athletes or fighters, talk, stuff like that, like. Sean Strickland, uh, you know, I, I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap, but he's he's very talented, even though it doesn't look nearly as pretty. And if he was able to push forward, push Uriah back, push him up against the cage at times and make it ugly, then he was going to have success. And that's ultimately what he did for all five rounds. I gave Uriah two out of the three uh, out of the five rounds. Um, but, you know, one out of uh, one in four seems fair. Uh, and so it, either way, unanimous decision, Sean Strickland. And uh, we'll see now, now having success against someone like Uriah and his first main event. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who they put him up against next. But moving on and rattling off some of the other results on the card. And the co-main event, what ended up being the co-main event, Cheyenne Bays, or Bays ends up getting a first round TKO by kick, head kick knockout of Gloria DePaula exactly one minute into the first round. Uh, this one, real quickly, I want to touch on it because I was even saying the wrong thing on Saturday. I was confused. Remember on the This Segment Rules episode that I talk about the um, ununified, unified rules? But in Vegas, they have an updated hybrid version of the unified rules of mixed martial arts, right? As a fucking mouthful. But what it means is they did in 2015 when they updated the rule set. They adopted the new version of how to score a 10-8 round, which was one of the two things that changed. But they did not update the different uh, grounded fighter rule from... They did not update it, did not, from one hand down makes a grounded fighter to two hands down makes a grounded fighter. And they also, third thing, are allowed to use replay um, even if it's not in a fighting sequence. So they can use replay and continue on with the fight if necessary. So to recap, in Vegas, one hand down is still a grounded fighter, but you can use replay in weird situations like this where DePaula was taken off her feet, she was on the ground, and then when she was getting up, uh, Cheyenne Bias throws a head kick as DePaula's right hand was just barely just coming out of contact with the mat as uh, she was posting on it to stand up. And it was like one of those, like, which happened first. It was almost the exact same time. And initially, I was like, well, it wouldn't have mattered. It's two hands down is, is a grounded fighter in the updated rule set. One hand down isn't a grounded fighter anymore. But, uh, again, that was my mistake because I forgot with the updated version in Vegas, they updated one rule but not the other and can use replay. Let's, let's just make it as complicated as fucking possible for these guys. And it was awfully close. Like, she could have definitely gotten disqualified, but she did say in the post fight that they, you know, trained a lot of left 
head kicks uh, just because of some tendencies on DePaula's side. Didn't exactly plan on it playing out like that, but uh, she got lucky in terms of her not being grounded and then ended up getting coming away with a first-round KO knockout highlight and a performance bonus to boot. So congratulations to Cheyenne Bice, uh for getting the win. But if you look down the rest of the card, a lot of underdogs came through. The dogs were barking tonight. Six underdogs ended up getting the win, including the next fight, Jared Gooden, who was on like a four or five-day notice, coming in to replace uh, Mania Luzez, who was another one of these last-minute COVID uh, fighters that had to pull out. So, um, you know, when you're coming in that sort of notice, he said he had to cut like 40 pounds or something fucking ridiculous. Like, a lot of times your best option is just go for it, and these guys – Banged it out in the center, and uh, eventually Stolza was the one that uh, that went down. And Jared Gunn was a big underdog because of that last-minute status, and he came through. Another underdog, Jason Witt, beat Brian Barberina. I didn't see that one coming. Chris Gutzmacher, I oh, I never go with the guy. He looked terrible in his last fight. He's been in the UFC for a very long time. He's just known for being durable and having a good gas stick, which sometimes can wear out your opponent, which is exactly what happened in this case. But Jen Yufre, another underdog, came through. Zaruk Adeshev, another underdog. And then Phil Rowe opening the night, another underdog. So a lot of crazy ones, including the Danny Chavez versus Kai Kamaka fight, which I thought could have potentially been fight of the night, but boy, was I wrong. You know, I poke, uh, knee to the nuts. This fight had a lot of, uh, like, stops in the action. It just was kind of anticlimactic, and with the point that ended up being taken in the second round, I think it was, uh, Danny Chavez just, you know, survived and ended up getting a draw when he was, you know, clearly losing. Kamaka looked really sharp. He looked uh, much improved from his last outing and uh, was really taking his time and picking him apart before he lost that point and then had to kind of try to turn into a brawl. But overall, kind of turned into a dud, but is what it is. Uh, and then Melsic Bagdasharian versus Colin Anglin up on the card. Kind of skipped it, but... Uh, this one because I want to take a second to point out these guys were both debuters and it's really just a reflection of how much the level in, in the game has evolved even at the amateur level even on the regional scene so when you have two guys like these that are both debuting in the UFC you know the fairly decent amount of experience outside in terms of MMA but Melsic got over 200 kickboxing fights in his past and has converted it well for MMA at least at this point at this level so two guys that were both debuting that both looked extremely high level, and it's just a, a testament to how far the game has come when uh, you know two guys making their debut, and it looked like they could contend with anybody in the featherweight division, even maybe the top 10, top 5 potentially. So Melsic and Anglin also went at it until the fight uh, eventually came to a, a KO kick to the head close. This one was also very exciting. Back and forth, they were really just going after it. And uh, both landed some clean shots. Colin did land some clean shots. Uh, um, his stock didn't drop in my book, and I'll be definitely paying attention in his next fight as well. But Melsic, uh, as an upcoming prospect, is definitely someone I'm going to be keeping my eye on. Uh, Melsic Bagdasarian, when you guys see that guy's name on the marquee, especially early now in his UFC career, uh, before they match him up with some crazy names that you probably already know, uh, it'll be interesting to see because if I'm right about the, this guy's ceiling, there's going to be a couple more mismatches on the way up, so they'd be for some devastating finish, finishes. So I'm excited for it. He also got a performance bonus in this fight in his debut, so that's the way to do it. Um, but that does it, guys. That's the card. I'm going to take a quick break, take a couple fucking drinks of this tea, try to clean up my voice just a little bit, and come back. And then uh, there is a lot of fights on UFC 265, a lot of fun ones that I want to get into. 
but uh, I'm not going to go too deep in terms of the breakdown, but I am going to give you my pick. So give me just one second. I'll be right back. So stay put. All right, we're back. Picks for UFC 265. Derek Lewis versus Cyril Gaon, the interim heavyweight championship of the world. Uh, co-main event, as I said earlier, got scrapped. That was the title fight between Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. But now we have a banger in its in its place. Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz is the new co-main event. And then Michael Chiesa, Vicente Luquez on the card. Tisha Torres, Angela Hill, Song Yudong, Casey Kenny, Bobby Green, our boy Bobby Green, taking on Rafael Fiziev, uh, Vincent Morales, Duraco Rodriguez, uh, Ed Herman, Alonzo Menafield, Carolina Kovalkiewicz versus Jessica Penne, Manel Cape versus Ode Osborne, and, and the list just goes on. There's a bunch of fights listed. We never know what will happen between now and then, but uh, at the bottom, I'm just going to burn through them, go pretty quickly, and spend a little bit more time at the top, but starting at the bottom, at least as of now, of course, uh, these cards getting shuffled around as far as the order a little bit some lately, but as it's listed here uh, on Google, Johnny Munoz versus Jamie Simmons is the first one, so Johnny Munoz 10-1 and versus Jamie Simmons seven and three. Taking a look at the odds, of course, that's always important in me making my decision, especially with fighters I know a little bit less about. Jamie Simmons is uh, plus one any one eighty four underdog to Johnny Munoz minus two thirty favorite. Munoz has a three inch height advantage, one inch reach advantage. Throws significantly more strikes uh, on the feet. They both have one fight in the UFC. Both have losses. Uh, the one thing that stands out to me, though, is uh, Jamie Simmons's loss. One loss in the UFC is to Giga Chikadze. He did get TKO'd KO'd by kick in the first round. So a lot of people have that same fate to Giga. So you're not really sure where that puts him in terms of skill level. Uh, starting off being so fresh in his career. But Johnny Munoz, 10-1 and overall. Two takedowns in his loss to Manis. And, again, almost four strikes landed per minute at a 62% clip. So I'm not sure which way to go, but on paper, um, I can understand why Munoz is favored. And so for now, I'm going to go with the favorite, Johnny Munoz, to get the win. And the next one, as it's listed here, Victoria Leonardo versus Melissa Gatto. Gatto is a minus 142 favorite to plus 116 underdog for Leonardo. Um, for me, with not knowing much about either of these ladies, taking a look at their regional records, somewhat of a coin flip. I think it's going to end up on the ground, and hopefully the wrestling of, of the underdog Leonardo gets it done. So I'm going to go uh, for those points. Victoria Leonardo for the win. Next one, as it's listed in front of me, Miles Johns versus Anderson Dos Santos. This one I don't see on the Google listing of the fight card, but I do see on the UFC stats page that shows the entire uh, list of the matchups, and it is also on the odds. So, uh, Miles Johns minus 188 to uh, Dos Santos plus 152. Um, if you take a look at it on the stats page, 11 and 1, Miles Johns, 21 and 8 overall, Anderson Dos Santos. 5-7, um, so 2 inch height advantage for Johns. And But on the other end, you have a 4 inch reach advantage on the side of Dos Santos. Both guys looks like uh, on the on paper, like to mix it up everywhere. Uh, just under 5 strikes landed per minute for both. But higher percentage on Miles John's side. Uh, but strike A lot of strikes absorbed on the Dos Santos side. And then just under one and a half takedowns uh, average per minute for both these guys. Both coming off a win. And um, let's see. One win in the UFC career of Dos Santos. And then three and one overall in the UFC career of Miles John's. 
Uh, I think I'm going to go with the favorite here, minus 188 Miles Jones to get it done. And then we have Manel Cape versus Ode Osborne. I think this one's going to be a high-paced, high-action fight. Flyweights, you know, always always really quick, fast, explosive guys. 15-6 and six overall, Cape versus 9-3-0 and 1, Ode Osborne. Uh, Ode Osborne has three fights in the UFC, two wins, one loss, and only an average fight time of 2 minutes 38 seconds. So, you know, either win or lose fast kind of guy so far. Four and a half strikes landed per minute to the 3.67 landed per minute by Manel Cape. Cape, unfortunately, has got in the UFC two fights, two losses, but he did make his debut against Pantoja and then uh, had Nicolau in his most recent outing. So, couple tough tests right off the bat. I think this fight's going to be exciting. Um, does show on the stats page, Manel Cape uh, absorbing almost four strikes per minute. No, I'm sorry, 4.3 strikes landed per minute absor- on the absorbed side. So, um, I don't know. I don't know which way to go here. Let's take a look at the odds. Looks like Manel Cape is actually a uh, minus 200 under. I'm sorry, minus 200 favorite to plus 160 for O'Day Osborne. Uh, for now, I'm shooting for those underdog points. I'm going to take a look at weigh-ins, see what these guys look like face-to-face. There is more experience on the uh, Manel Cape side. And Pantoja and Nicolau are tough, but I'm going to go with the momentum because uh, Ode Osborne, you know, got a knockout 26 seconds against Jerome Rivera in his last fight, and that was in February of this last year. So um, let's get those underdog points. Another card, hopefully, where the dogs are barking. Let's go. And then moving on, the next one, Carolina Kovalkiewicz versus Jessica Pinne. What a tale of two weird, like, career trajectories where uh, Kovalkiewicz was hot and on fire for a while, and now she's coming off of four straight losses. And then Jessica Penne has kind of had a resurgence late in her career, been around since the beginning. She's she's older, and she's uh, been in the UFC uh, women's strawweight division for a while, and 13-6 uh, and six overall for Penne versus 12-6 and six overall for Kovalkiewicz. And this is pretty much a coin flip uh, fight in terms of the odds. Actually, it looks like Pinay is a very slight underdog at this point, which for me, I got to go with momentum. She's coming off a win, looked uh, the best she's ever looked. And obviously, it's a little bit bigger cage because it's a full pay-per-view event in a big arena in Houston. So uh, the space is going to be there for Carolina Kovalkiewicz to move around and utilize her more dynamic striking. But I get the feeling that Pinay is going to get a hold of her. She's going to be able to get her down, and she'll be able to get the win. So... Um, underdog, let's go. Underdogs all day. Jessica Pinhead for the win. And then we have a crazy light heavyweight fight that is one of those that you say there's no way this could go to the judge's decision and for some reason probably will for some strange-ass reason. Uh, Alonzo Menafield versus Ed Herman. Uh, let's take a look at the odds before I get into it. Minus 250 Menafield plus for plus 198 on Herman's side. But if you look at it, Ed Shortfuse Herman is actually coming off three wins in a row where Menafield got a win uh, in, versus Charant in his last fight but had Two losses before that, one to St. Peru and one to Devin Clark. Um, so the momentum is technically on Ed Herman's side. He's a veteran of the game. He's 27-14 and 14 overall. Uh, and even with all those fights, has uh, less than a 10-minute average fight time. He likes to bang. And 6-1 for him versus the 6-foot-tall Alonzo Minifield. Average tight fight time, 4 minutes, 47 seconds for Alonzo also. So again, all signs point to this fight finishing inside the distance, but um, I'm not sure. I think this guy, these guys are both going to go out there and just it'll be a sloppy light heavyweight fight. Uh, Alonzo Minifield has a lot of gas and he's very explosive early, but then starts to fade and get uh, very tired. I mean, he seems like in the last couple of fights that he's shored up that deficiency and getting a little bit better and better and more measured in his overall approach. So it's kind of one of those things, like if he has a uh, smart approach, makes it maybe less of an exciting fight for the fans and not so much of a 
quote-unquote banger. I think he could probably take down Herman in certain spots or hold him up against the cage and, uh, you know, grind out a, a decision. Um, he's definitely got the power to just go out there and flip a coin and uh, put out at Herman. You know, Herman could be potentially somewhat chinny considering how many wars he's been in over the course of his career. And, you know, Herman likes to exchange. He likes to go out there and throw heavy lead. So, um, I don't know. I feel like this fight could go one of those two ways. And uh, if it goes uh, coin flip banger status, I think Ed Herman has, uh, you know, just as good of a chance that it's uh, pure, it is quite the 50-50. But if Minifield tries to mix it up and, uh, you know, try to try to do those things and, and do uh, make the improvements and, and adapt from the things that's been holding his, him back in his most recent performances, then, um, you know, a measured, uh, mature, um, educated performance is, is what he's going to need to to win. So hopefully for his sake, um, the cage and the space is going to, you know, keep this from, you know, when it's a smaller cage, especially with big boys, it definitely incites the action and it pushes things along faster. Um, I, I want to go, my heartstrings want to go with Ed Herman here. And, uh, especially since he's the underdog and, you know, if I see something between now and, uh, you know, fight night, fight time that, uh, makes me go. Otherwise I'll switch, but for now, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to take the risk going underdogs all day. If one doesn't come through and the other one does, then it balances out. So uh, I'm going to bank on this being a coin flip because of the size card it is, not because of the uh, the size of the cage. I don't think that's going to um, – I think the fact that it's the, the card, the, the fans, and it's going to be crazy is going to um, really hype these guys up and make it uh, intense and make them go for it. So – that's what my hope is, and if that's the case, it's worth it for the underdog points to go with Ed Shortfuse Herman. Uh, moving along, next one, Vince Morales versus Draco Rodriguez. This one's another, odd, in terms of the odds, it's pretty much a coin flip fight. Looks like Rodriguez minus 115, slight favorite to the minus 105 underdog Vince Morales. Looks like on paper, not knowing too much about these guys, that um, Rodriguez is going to want to take it to the floor. Morales is going to want to keep it standing. Nine and five record for Morales, not the greatest. Seven and two for Rodriguez. Uh, Rodriguez, one win, one loss in his UFC career. But he is coming off uh, a loss against Aman Zahabi. And then uh, Rodriguez, um, I'm sorry, Morales is also coming off a loss uh, versus Chris Gutierrez. He got TKO'd by a gnarly kick in the second round. So both these guys need a win. They need to bounce back. And uh, I don't know, with the odds being this damn close and uh, the size of the cage, the underdog technically being Morales. Um, again, a lot of these I am going to have to take a look at the weigh-ins in terms of like in this one. If I does, if from everything I do here throughout the course of the week uh, confirms that they think it's kind of a striker striker versus grappler matchup. If I see him in the weigh-ins and it looks like Morales is definitely not going to get taken down given like his strength factor and, and how they size up. Even though, you know, if you take a look at the attributes, they're relatively similar. 5'7", 5'8", one-inch height and reach advantage for each. So, um, But I'm going to take a look at these guys at the weigh-ins and maybe switch it up. But for now, um, again, when they're that close and there's potential underdog points on the line, I think it's worth it. So I don't know how many so far I've gone with, but I'm going again with the underdog, Vince Morales, to get the win. And then we have one of the very crucial matchups on the card that I'm looking forward to. Bobby King Green versus Rafael Fazayev. 9-1 Fazayev versus 27-11-1 and 11 and 1 Bobby Green. Obviously, the wealth of experience on the side of Bobby Green. He is a couple inches taller. He's a big-ass dude for the division. 
Rafael Fiziev is the truth, though, in terms of striking. But look at these stats. 5.17 strikes landed per minute by Bobby Green. 4.67 per minute by Fiziev, or Fiziev, however you want to say it. Both uh, in the 50s in terms of uh, striking accuracy. Uh, takedown defense, 63% for Bobby Green, 55% for Fiziev, which is important because I think Bobby Green, although you know he, I think he's the man, but I think he needs to mix things up here and show uh, potentially exposed deficiencies in the uh, grappling department for Fazayev because, you know, although he's, you know, as if you don't know, he's the uh, Muay Thai coach at Tiger Muay Thai, and he's he's just, he has highlight reels for days, and you need to check him out because in the striking department, again, like I've mentioned like four times already, he's just really, really good, and uh, it's going to be fun to watch, but um, I, I think my guy Bobby Green needs to do what kind of Strickland did in terms of uh, making it not a pretty matchup, not exciting, not dynamic. Try to close down that bigger octagon, get a hold of Fazayev, and get him either up against the cage or down on the mat. But unfortunately for Bobby, I think it's going to be a little bit too difficult to get a hold of this guy. And Fazayev is going to, you know, not be as dominant as he has looked so far in his UFC career. But I feel like he's going to be able to poke and prod from the outside, utilize that footwork, and, and end up carving out a decision over my guy. So, fortunately for this one, going to go with Rafael Fazayev for the win. And then we have Song Yadong versus Casey Kenny. Take a look at the odds here. Minus This is another one of those minus 115, minus 105. Barely a, fa- uh, a favorite in this matchup. Pretty much a coin flip across the board. Casey Kenny, the slight favorite to Song Yadong, minus 105. Uh, I'm going with Casey Kinney here. He's last lost to Dominic Cruz. Felt like it was a very competitive matchup, and Dominic Cruz is just a tough puzzle to figure out, and he he, he won the decision, yes, but I feel like Casey Kinney is still um, rising and uh, up the division and getting better along the way. He's, he's young and fresh, 16-3. and three. Casey Kinney versus 16-5-1, and five and one, Song Yudong. Song Yudong is coming off a loss to Phillips, and then before that, he had a decision win over Marlon Vera that I thought uh, Marlon won. So with a draw before that, if you don't count that as a win, his last win would have been July 2019. Although he did look like he was shot out of a cannon and he was looking like he was going to just continue to rise up and be a contender in this division. So with a couple bumps in the road, we'll see if he's back on track versus Casey Kinney. Um, and again, these a lot of these, like I've mentioned several times, are minus 105, minus 115. They're super close odds. So... Um, I feel like that's accurate, and as time gets closer, and with the weigh-ins and other things that I hear throughout the week, if one of these guys ends up being the underdog last minute, even if it's slight, there is the incentive for the extra point for the show, so I can switch based on that as well, so keep that in mind. But for now, I'm going with Casey Kinney to get it done. And then we have Tisha Torres versus Angela Hill. This one's a very interesting matchup in the women's strawweight division. Uh, Angela Hill was looking really good, uh, had a few fight win streak, then has uh, losses to Gadelia, Watterson, and then bounced back with a win over Ashley Yoder in her last fight. Uh, Tisha Torres is coming off a two-fight win streak versus Hughes and Van Buren. Um, Both these ladies have a a lot of volume. Uh, 4.3 strikes landed per minute for Tisha, 5.66 for Angela Hill. Angela Hill's got a two-inch height advantage and a four-inch reach advantage, which I definitely think could uh, come into play in this matchup. But I think speed and tenacity uh, and the way that Tisha's looked in her last couple fights, she's never looked better, and I think she's going to carry that momentum into this fight and get the win over the uh, significant opponent, Angela Hill, continuing to move herself up the division. So uh, Tisha Torres is the minus-142 favorite in this spot, so I'm going with her to get the win.
And then we have Vincente Luque versus Michael Chiesa. This one is a very interesting clash of styles. 5.74 strikes landed per minute on Vincente Luque's side to the 1.89 strikes landed per minute on the Chiesa side, but almost four takedowns per 15 minutes for Michael Chiesa also. So it's no secret striker versus grappler matchup. 18-4 Chiesa versus 20-7 Luque. Um, let's take a look at the odds real quick. I'm really interested actually for this one. Because Michael Chiesa has been on a tear lately, but so has Luque. Plus 108 Chiesa to minus 132, uh, the favorite on Luque's side. So this is easily going to play out in one of two ways. Either Chiesa gets him to the ground after some maybe cage control and uh, up against the fence that slows him down. And then eventually peels him to the ground after staying safe in those clinch exchanges. And uh, Chiesa can grind out, grind him out and eventually either get the finish, ground and pound and submission from top. Or... Vincente Luque is going to keep it on the feet and, and tee off on Chiesa, I feel like. Um, the reach advantage, it doesn't say. It says they're both 75-inch uh, reach here. But I feel like Chiesa, I don't know if that's accurate. I feel like Chiesa has the longer reach. He definitely has a couple-inch height advantage, so that could come into play in this matchup. But I'm going to go with the favorite, Vincente Luque. I don't know if I'm just giving too much credence to that larger octagon uh, like I do sometimes. Uh, in reverse at the apex, but for the, in this case, I think Vincente Luque is going to be able to keep it on the feet, and he's going to be able to get it done. And now we've reached the co-main event. I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to get it. Hopefully it doesn't get scrapped and not be the co-main event. That seems to be the uh, one that keeps getting snake bit recently, but uh, Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz in our co-main event. Bantamweight scrap, third fight, I think, down at Bantamweight for Jose Aldo, and uh, surprisingly enough, he's looked great. So I'm really interested in this matchup. Uh, Pedro Munoz is coming off a win versus Jimmy Rivera in his last fight and has never looked better himself. So both these guys uh, are definitely a stylish to clash that's going to be exciting for the fans, and I'm, I'm very pumped for it. I don't know which way to go. I think Pedro Munoz um, is a little bit more fresh. I think Jose Aldo, again, uh, has looked great uh, at 135. But his last fight over Marlon Vera, I feel like, uh, you know, other than that takedown in the third round when he was kind of trying to just survive in that sense, um, that Marlon Vera had his number and was winning that fight. So I really don't know what to take from that as far as like, you know, full three-round cardio at 135. But Pedro Munoz, again, puts a pace on fools. And uh, I think this is going to be a really, really exciting fight for as long as it lasts. Perfect spot for the co-main event. And taking a look at the odds, it's actually quite surprising. It looks, at least to me, Jose Aldo, minus 142 favorite. To the plus 116 underdog, Pedro Munoz. And I hate to do it, man. I hate to do it to junior uh, Jose Aldo. But, uh, you know, legend of the sport. One of the, if not the best featherweight in feather UFC history. Uh, but uh, I think Pedro Munoz is going get to get it done. I think these guys are going to go at it. Uh, either a potential third round finish by Munoz or a decision win by Munoz. I'm not sure which way I'm going to go with that just yet. But those that's one of the two. Uh, methods that I'm eventually going to go with. I'm going with the underdog. Dogs are barking, baby. Pedro Munoz for the win. And last but not least, Derek Lewis versus Cyril Gaon for the... can't believe I'm saying this. Derek Lewis fighting for the championship. He even put out a post that said, if I win this belt, if I'm the champion of the UFC heavyweight division, y'all suck and need to get a different occupation. Like, this guy came from nothing, you know, ex-convict. He had to turn his life around. And he's obviously, you know playing into the character and hoping people will 
um, underestimate him, but this guy is absolutely taking it serious and has been for a while. Uh, behind the scenes, strength conditioning has been taking it very serious, trying to shore the, those cardio issues and just be more lean, more explosive, more fast. But he's, you know, it's no no secret what he's going to come out to do. And Ciro Gan is very dynamic, very elusive. He's got great footwork. Again, there's the bigger cage. Like there's a lot of things going for him, and he is a minus. He's a three to one uh, favorite. Ciro Gan is minus three ten favorite to the plus two ten underdog. No, plus two forty underdog for Derek Lewis, but it only makes sense that I've been going with underdogs this entire fight card because the dogs are barking. This is the best case scenario for Derek Lewis to go out there and get himself about 27 and 7, sorry, 25 and 7 overall versus 9 and 0 Ciro gone. The experience is in Derek Lewis' size. He's been in high-profile spots already. Granted, technique for technique, technically, technique-wise, Ciro Gan has way better striking. He's got good submission game. He's uh, big and strong. You know, he's not going to be uh, too intimidated by Derek Lewis' size, but that one-shot power and that eraser is enough to put anybody on the back foot. And Derek Lewis is doing this in Houston. People keep bringing that up. I'm going to bring it up again. Fans are there is a full sold out crowd houston texas and Derek lewis is going to be buoyed by that he's going to kill or be killed he's not going to you know quit and he's just going to go all out and try to put this man away and i feel like he's going to get it done i feel like everything's just lining up for him and it's hilarious that we went from my balls is hot to he won't, he don't get, I don't need this belt. I want the real belt. But plus, I don't need a belt at all because I want to fucking take my pants off because my balls are hot. Like, this is fucking hilarious. And I would love nothing more uh, than that would just be funny and hilarious and also inspiring to see if Derek Lewis could be a UFC heavyweight champion. So I've been going with him all night. Ciro Gan definitely is the better, like, technical fighter. But I think that's not unfortunate. You know, unfortunately for him, that's not all. Uh, that that this is MMA. Anything can happen, and that's because you know these are two human beings in there. They're not just robots with specific percentage attributes, and you can't just work on probabilities like that. And uh, this is one of those cases that Derek Lewis, baby, he did it against the last couple fights. He, he against um, um, Curtis Blades. Uh, he was a big underdog, and look how that ended. So Derek Lewis, my balls is hot. Let's get it done. Uh, man, I will be on top of the world if Derek Lewis is the heavyweight champion. But that's it. Let's go. That's UFC 265. Again, apologies for the voice. It's fucking 4 a.m., guys. Trying to make sure to pump it out and not miss every single week. Got a lot going on with the tonic and everything. So thank you for the support with that. But it is uh, stretching me a little thin. So I know I have to acknowledge that the quality of the podcast, in terms, especially in terms of my voice, has suffered a little bit. But uh, I have a lot of plans streamline some things have multiple episodes be dropping per week but none of that would be possible without you know you guys just continued support and with you guys without you guys continuing to listen so it means the world and i can't thank you guys enough but that's it that does it for this week's installment of the d love special sauce podcast hope you guys liked the show if you did go over to apple and itunes give us a five-star rating and a positive review while you're there turn the notification bell on that way you're on top of all the most current content if you're already supporting a small independent podcast please do check out and support all the small businesses that support us just like you guys by listening every week we got monique taylor with strong women designs we got dream loud collections my girl nora custom handmade jewelry check her out oc party rentals paint bay the journey of a modern day painter upper glass tent 
Eating buttery pancakes is getting people shredded. Vargas Auto Spa, California Shirt Smith. Check out Justin for some custom print works. Blake Builder and the Builder System. Mac Noodles Sabachi Chef. Ricardo with Neighborhood Auto Care. South Meals. Angie Snyder and of course D loves Tumor Tonic. But last and not least, MMT Fitness. Make sure to check him out on Instagram. Make sure to go out and check out the gym. Exit Avery Parkway off the five freeway. First class is always free. Tell him the DLSS podcast sent you. But that does it for this week, guys. Until next week, same time and same place, enjoy the fights.